It's trash day, I'm putting you out, it's trash day. Putting you out, it's trash day. Putting you out of my mind. It's trash day, I'm putting you out, it's trash day. I'm putting you out, trash day, I'm putting you out of my mind. Now I'm gonna clean up, now I'm gonna clean up, now I'm gonna clean up the house. Taking all your garbage, taking all your garbage, taking all your garbage. <coughs> it starts with some beer, so you shouldn't have fear. Two garbage guys with facts, but they both still have tact. It's that time at last for the best damn podcast. It's Can Crusher Day! Welcome to Can Crusher Spotlight. Mark Martinez alongside the English professor, and there is a major buzz happening in Can Crushers right now. There really is a major buzz going on because we are talking to one half of the Killer Bees, B. Brian Blair. This is so exciting, John, because one of our favorite tag teams, when they donned the masks and they had confusion running amok against the heels, I loved it. Yeah, it was a fun time. Um, the 80s were were just stacked with teams, uh, and the Killer Bees were really, really close to the, the top of that list. Yeah, I want to ask him some questions about working with Bret Hart, something like that. You know, what do you think you're going to ask him? I want to find out about uh, his training because I found out that he trained under Hiro Matsuda, who broke Hulk Hogan's leg. So wow. I want to find out if uh, Blair got his leg broken, too. Yeah, well, we're going to hear the interview John and I had with B. Brian Blair right after you hear from our great sponsor, Call on an Elbow. And, John, you look great in the shirt today. Thank you. It's comfy. I say it all the time. It's comfy. When you order from Call on an Elbow, make sure you type in Can Crushers, capital C, and a capital C on the crusher. You know, just keep it together, one word, Can Crushers, and you'll get 10% off of your order have it be discontinued, sales, whatever. You get 10% off using that Can Crusher promo code. And let's go to Al right now, John. Hey, let's do it. Wrestling. A love and a passion we all share. I've started a wrestling brand. The wrestling brand. A brand founded on the aspects of wrestling. Two entities working together to create a product that connect emotionally for people everywhere. Collar and Elbow is the brand. Passion and love for wrestling is the drive. I am Al Snow, and this is Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand. And welcome back to the Can Crusher Spotlight. This week we have a very, very special guest. Uh, many of you probably remember him as one half of the Killer Bees, uh, but he's so, so much more than that. His wrestling career, his, his personal life is so much more than that. I am speaking of uh, B. Brian Blair. Mr. Blair, thank you so, so much for joining us today on Can Crushers. Well, it's such an honor to be on Can Crushers. You know, the Killer Bees been from Maine to Spain. I've been from New York to Holland, and on the way, I spread a lot of power, guys. 
You know, I've been from ocean to ocean and coast to coast. I've been north, south, east, and west. But right now, Ken Crusher's podcast is what's buzzing the most. And I heard something about Al Snow that he's got the hottest clothing company in the country right now. And I can't wait to hear one of his commercials again because they just turned me on just like Head does. Wow. <laughs> wow, a big Head fan. Oh, yeah. It's pretty comfy stuff, Brian. Like it really that. is. Al's a, Al's, Al's, Al's a great guy. Yeah, he really is. Mark can attest so, to that. Anyway. Um, so... Thank you again for coming on, and uh, like you said, you've been all over, north, south, east, and west. Let's go, um, let's start way back. You, you maybe like a lot of uh, other wrestlers, um, had intentions to maybe play football. Is that correct? Uh, yes, um, I played uh, football since um, junior high school, actually, at Webb Junior High School in Tampa, in seventh grade is when I started playing football all the way through college uh, to my junior year at Louisville and, uh, and played at St. Leo College for <coughs> one uh, football semester there, which is just north of Tampa, uh, when Tampa U folded their uh, football program, which was heartbreaking to me because I used to sell so sodas and watch Paul Odorf, number 40, for the Tampa Spartans who – Four, uh, two out of the four years he w was there as a fullback, and Freddie Solomon was a quarterback. The only person that beat Freddie Solomon's receiving records for the 49ers is Jerry Rice. John Matuzak was on that team. I mean, they were stacked, but they were number one in the nation, uh, uh, <coughs> Division 2A. Um, two out of the four years that uh, Oscar was there, Oscar being Paul Orloff. Mr. Wonderful. So uh, anyway, from there, uh, broke my heart. People gave away their scholarships. Louisville wanted me there. I went to <clears throat> St. Leo, Leo College and played for Tillero Morrison, who uh, uh, was highly recommended. Uh, he had coached at Alabama. And uh, there was there was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of great stories right in there, but I never talked to wrestling. Um, but, yeah, I always uh, enjoyed football, but, at a young age, I saw Gordon Soley on uh, Channel 44 WTOG here in Tampa. And uh, the first guy I saw was Jack Briscoe. And I thought, wow, what a man. And this guy can wrestle. And back then, everybody believed. I mean, just like, you know, we didn't have Tampa Bay Lightning. We didn't have the the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. You know, we didn't we didn't have, uh, you know, the the – the big, the big uh, lightning or, or anything. We had um, uh, college football, you know, Saturday nights. The stadium would be packed for the Spartans. And then we had uh, wrestling. And every Tuesday night, the armory would be, be, would be packed. And, um, you know, the first time I went there, Steve Kern let me carry his bag up. And I got in for free because I had no money. I was just went there on a dream. Uh, uh, my parents were divorced when I was young, and, you know, I lived on my own since I was 16. A lot of people don't know that. I was born in Cary, Indiana, uh, lived there until I was uh, 10 and a half, and it was a rough life, guys. Let me tell you something, John. Um, that was, it was brutal. And, uh, you know, I was so myself and one other white family in the neighborhood, and, you know, we had no prejudice or Everybody was colorblind. All my friends were black or 
deep Hispanic. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of rough stuff going on. Anyway, when I saw uh, Gordon Soli and Jack Briscoe, um, I knew then what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a professional wrestler. And, um, you know, I, I believed, I think, when I... When I went to uh, that first Lutheran church in Gary, Indiana, and the uh, first time I went to um, Big People's Church, and the uh, pastor was preaching on the power of prayer, and he said, and I'm listening really intently now, trying to be a big guy, and uh, the pastor said, whatever you want in life, you can have, you can be. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be a month or a year, whatever he went on. But eventually, if you work hard, if you're an earnest person and you really focus, you're going to get what you pray for. So it was Matthew twenty-one, twenty-two, is the scripture, and I remembered that so intently, and I got on my hands and knees. I could not wait to get home that night. And I could not think of what to pray for. So I first said, well, you know, maybe I could have a million dollars. I'm thinking, man, I'm 10 years old. They're going to take that million dollars right away from me. Um, and uh, I thought, well, but, you know, I loved, Cor- I loved Corvettes. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to pray for a blue Corvette. Well, maybe a red one. I could pray for both of them. So I started saying, I'm going to pray for a red and a blue Corvette. And I, I'm 10 years old. I can't drive. I'm going to have to look at them for several years. So then I really thought, and I said, yes, dear God, I want to be Superman. So I prayed every day. I'm serious, guys. This is a true story. I got down on my hands and knees, and I said, dear God, please make me Superman. I want to be Superman. And I'd do stupid things like jump off my bed that I shared with two other siblings and um, um, put a towel, wrap a, uh, <laughs> whatever I had, a towel or she, Your tape. Jump off, and I couldn't. couldn't fly, knocked my head into a wall, it hurt like crazy, so, you know, I, I just uh, look at my arms, and nothing was getting stronger, and uh, this kid named Billy Kempinski, a white kid in the neighborhood, uh, he told me, Brian, you're foolish, man, I can't believe you've been doing that, you're so stupid, you can never be Superman, he lives on television, and wears a costume, uh, you know, when I go speak to kids now, I play on the tape, and I tell them this story, and I said, be careful what you pray for, because it just might happen. I really wasn't Superman because that's just something that can't exist, as we all know. But I did become a superhero by being able to run the ropes like a speeding bullet, leapfrog a man with a single bound, have a 360-pound man jump off the top rope and land on my chest, <laughs> get up, and do it all again. And I didn't have that red cape, but I had a pair of modified underwear that were black and yellow. And let me tell you something. It was just like being Superman. Wow. That's, that is, I love it. That's a great story. Thank you. Um, one thing I gathered from that, and I wonder if you have any advice for us, because Mark and I are going to a wrestling match tonight. How did you swing getting in for free, and how did you swing um, carrying Steve Kern's bag? Well, they had done, I, I was a pretty good wrestler, and um, Andy Hardy from Fox 13 was an excellent sportscaster, and um, uh, then the, uh, trying to think of the writer from the Tribune, uh, our now defunct local paper that's morphed into a, a rag on the other side of the bay, the St. Pete Times. But uh, anyway, um, 
Um, the uh, um, what was that right there? I just had a. Uh, one of my, uh, carrying carrying um, Steve Kern's bag and, oh, and Steve Kern's bag, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, I had gotten this all this publicity about you know growing up tough and uh, being a good athlete. And um, Eddie Graham, uh, my senior year in high school, Eddie Graham brought Steve Kern and um, the Briscoes and uh, Mike Graham to one of our dual meets, and I met them all there, and uh, they were really nice to me. You know, they were. Uh, really supportive of uh, youth athletics, and Eddie Graham was a big the promoter here, the infamous promoter, right. Mike Graham being his son. Uh, he was a big supporter of the girls, Sheriff's Girls Ranch and uh, Boys Villas and did a lot of community service. So just, uh, you know, being that kid that got a little publicity at a young age, um, Steve knew who I was. He remembered meeting me, and I was just hanging out and uh, – right by where the wrestlers come in just so I could see him. And he rolled down his window and I said, Hey, Mr. Cohen, remember me from Tampa Bay Tech High School? Brian Blair. And he goes, uh, I don't forget, I forget exactly what he said to me. And I said, is there any way, um, is there any way I could get into the wrestling? <laughs> I don't know what gave me the nerve to ask him that, but I said, I don't have any money at all. He said, okay, kid, jump in. And uh, I jumped into his car. Are there and wheeled me to the back and he goes, Carry my bags. <laughs> <laughs> Following up the stairs and right away he said, Okay, scoop, no, go ahead, you gotta go out there, you know. So, you know, I couldn't be around the dressing room, everything was case safe. So right. he scooted me out, I got into the wrestling matches and I've been hooked. I mean, I'm I'm still hooked on wrestling. So, Mark, Brian's answer to that basically is he was a good wrestler and a good athlete. You and I are neither of those things, so we don't really have a chance of getting in for free tonight. Maybe we can just find somebody to let carry a bag or a rope or something in tonight. To we'll give it a in. shot. We'd have to try this out tonight. We'll give it a shot. Just wear some really dirty clothes and get a sign that says, I will work for a ticket. <laughs> That's great. I'll go roll around outside in the grass right now because it's muddy up here in Pennsylvania, so I'll fit right in with some of the people. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Carry a, uh, carry a, a spray bottle of Windex and a rag and wash the windows. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. It's going down tonight. Hey, uh, Brian, tell us about... You uh, an entrepreneur. You have to, yeah. yeah. you got to try different things. Tell us about. Let me, uh, let me just go, say go, this, sure, sure. something that something that all wrestlers need. Something that all wrestlers, new wrestlers, need now is they need some a, a career coach, somebody that will teach them what to do with their money now, the most prudent ways to invest uh, money. Something that's approved, of course, by the uh, the board of the WWE. Um, Vince on down. And uh, or ROH or whoever else, uh, AEW, whoever uh, needs it, but the boys need it. They, they, and they're not going to just go out and seek it and be something that, you know, the boss is going to have to say, hey, you need to go to this uh, uh, weekend class and, um, and take notes and, and, and listen. You know, I mean, because there's a million ways. You know, I, I, I was a millionaire when I was 40 years old, and it wasn't, you know, a, a a lot of it was from wrestling, but uh, it was because, you know, I, ha I was an entrepreneur at Bulls Gyms, learned, learned about money, learned about deals. I flip houses. I mean, I've got a $450,000 house at two twenty four, or $440,000 house at 2406 North Boulevard 
you could check out right now, um, but uh, for sale. And, you know, you could learn to flip houses with little money. There's all kinds of things you could do, but they need that education because they don't have a 401k. They don't have, they don't have anything uh, for their future. And when wrestling's done, it's done. And that's why the Cauliflower Alley Club helps so many of these wrestlers that have never prepared for the future. And they've made a lot of money, and they think, you know, they got a little bit of cash and reserves, and all of a sudden the doctor bills hit, and they don't have insurance or uh, something's happened not to cause them uh, to have insurance. They don't uh, realize the, uh, the importance of perfect credit. You know, things like this. It's, it's something that every company should have somebody come to and make it mandatory that every young wrestler has that. Yeah, you brought up the Cauliflower Alley Club. Um, let's talk more about that right now. Can anybody get involved in this? Uh, give us some more information about this because we looked it up and I'm all in for this because what you guys have done entertaining us to become a life member and give back to my childhood heroes, uh, it's well worth it. So dive into this for a while. Well, first, we appreciate you guys so much for your support. Uh, Can Crusher's podcast, John um, and Mark, you guys have been fabulous for us. And then we, uh, we appreciate that. I mean, anybody, as long as you're a nice person, that's all. And we have thrown people out. Just so you know, if you're not a nice person, please don't come to the Cauliflower Alley Club because we only allow uh, cordial people. So uh, it's only $25. You can go to caulifloweralleyclub.org. And for $25, you become a member. You'll get four issues of a four-color magazine that's absolutely awesome. They may even find your own picture there if you attend one of our reunions. The 55th is coming up April 27th through the 29th, our 55th anniversary. That's how old the Cauliflower Alley Club is. And we have helped thousands of wrestlers over that 55 years. And just, you know, just in the last, since the last reunion, we have helped dozens of wrestlers i mean literally and these are people that entertained us all they were colleagues of mine people that you know i've cheered for you cheered for uh or booed for whatever um but they're they're good people that just happen to fall on bad times and by joining the cauliflower alley club that's our mission statement we give these people that fall on these bad times due to no uh or minimal fault of their own um Either you know you can't call lack of preparation, but the, the diseases, you know, uh, the divorce, things that just happen to the guys. Um, it's really tough. But when you see them smile, you know, when you uh, when you see some of the, when you make uh, Tony Marino be able to hear again, when you give Brickhouse Brown an extra six or eight months of life, wow. had he known about the Cauliflower Alley Club four months earlier, he'd be alive today. I mean, uh, they were tr treating him with stage two cancer with just pain pills. No, wow. no, um, uh, nothing. I mean, nothing. So by the time he called the college, well, I called Rocky Johnson, called me and said, Brian, this guy named Brickhouse Brown, you know, and I said, uh, yeah, I know who he is. We just never worked in the same territory. Um, well, he's in pretty bad shape and he needs some help. Uh, gave me his number. I called him. He told me about the stage two cancer. I, Talked to a couple of people on the board, uh, one of our attorneys, uh, Bruce Tharp, um, because he went to a doctor, and the doctor, we paid for his next doctor appointment that he got, and uh, the doctor wanted to cut his testicles off. Um, 
asked him where he got the doctor out of the yellow pages, you know, just, um, so we hunted him a good doctor, got him to a good doctor. He didn't have to get his testicles cut off. Oh, he, my God. He did have to get some chemo. He had to get some chemo and some radiation, and we took care of that. We, we helped him tremendously, and, um, you know, it allowed him to come to the Cauliflower Alley Club and get the first Courage Award. And we do that every year, and it's a surprise. So you can come. If you're a member for $25, you can come to the uh, reunion uh, April 27th through the 29th um, <laughs> for uh, $125 covers everything. Uh, two wonderful meals. Uh, the talent that we have this year is going to be off the top. I mean, amazing. We've already got commitments from some people that I cannot say anything to until after October 15th or I would be the first to let them know on your show. Nuts. We should have scheduled this later. Yeah. No, oh, well. no, that's okay. That's okay. Hey, uh, Brian, where do you guys get the resources to do these great things that you're doing? Uh, we get them from, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of members that uh, join uh, their payroll. There's people that work at Smith Barney and a few other companies that have payroll deduction if they want to give $10 a month to their favorite charity. Of course, uh, on, a, on a $25 membership we make after we send the four magazines, the beautiful certificate. Mine, mine's still hanging in my um, in my wardrobe. Um, you get that beautiful certificate for 25 bucks. We still make about $10 off that. We make $25. I mean, we're, we're a 501c3, so we're, our finances are an open book. Um, so we uh, it costs us $100 per person to rent all the space that we rent because there's so many things going on from the seminars to the bowling tournaments, cribbage tournaments, strut offs. I mean, chop concerts. There's just all kinds of referee wrestling matches, two nights in a row, all kinds of stuff going on for that $125. Wow. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing, but, um, I, I just feel so blessed. Just go to, all you gotta do is go to cauliflowerallyclub.org. And uh, all your listeners, I would really appreciate that. I mean, the guys would really appreciate it. You don't have to like me, but I'm sure there's some guys that you like that <laughs> you're, you're going to help. You're going to help them. And so, you know, you go to the reunion, and it, like I was saying, it's uh, $125. The Cauliflower Alley Club makes 25 bucks there. And then we have some other generous people that, uh, you know, just donate uh, out of the goodness of their heart because they can. Right. Right. After we get done recording, I'm going to jump over, John. After we get done recording, Brian, uh, we'll leave this during, in the podcast as well. Um, I'd like to talk to you about what more the Can Crushers can do for that. Because, again, I, I want to, with everything that went on in my life recently, I, I want to give back to my childhood dreams, my stars, my heroes. Uh, this is something that's hitting me really hard right now. Oh, I can imagine after what you've gone through, Mark, and I just, uh, again, you know, losing your dad. You know, Steve Curley told me yesterday, not yesterday, because uh, he's right now he's in Orlando with NXT. He comes home. Uh, well, he came home last night. I'm sorry. Well, when I saw him before he left, which seems like yesterday, but it was actually five, six days ago. Uh, I just see Steve so often because he lives so close. I'm, matter of fact, I'm sitting in my backyard looking over the lake, and I watch the airplanes go over his house, and I tell him about all the jet fuel that's dropping three miles away because he lives right exactly west of me three miles. So and that's right in the flight path of Tampa International Airport. But he's got a beautiful home, but all the roofs are black. <laughs> anyway, uh, 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 what was, I was just ready to tell you something about Steve again, uh, and I had to go into that diatribe, but... 
what, what, what did you say prior to that? About, about about working together, you know, Can Crushers and the Cauliflower Alley Club. Somehow, you know, partnering up and getting oh, something oh, going. Oh, I know, I know. And what I was going to say to you, Mark, is this. Steve said the most profound statement. He said, there's a, a quote by a very famous person, and it says, you don't know what it's like to be a man until you lose your father. Right. Right. And that, that just hit me so hard because I'm very blessed. My dad's 85 and, you know, I went and played poker with the only time I can see my dad is if I go play poker and he's a super, super poker player. And I'm just, uh, you know, I lose a hundred bucks just to go see my dad for a few bucks for a few hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I would lose, I would lose a million. I would. <laughs> um, market of course. Mark and I, uh, we've gone to a lot of expos, a lot of meet and greets, and we've met a lot of wrestlers that are in really good shape. They, they, you know, slim down a little bit. They look really healthy. Um, but then, you know, uh, there are a lot of guys that aren't in that, that good a condition physically, financially, and otherwise, maybe through no fault of their own. So it's really nice to hear that people like you are doing good things, um, you know, for some of your coworkers. Yeah, absolutely. This will be my sixth year as president and CEO, and it's, you know, I do a lot of other things, but I just make sure that I get things done, and we have just a great group of people. They're all volunteers. Nobody makes a nickel. I mean, I, I pay for my own. I pay for everything when I go there, just like every board member does, every person that helps us and donates their time. These are real uh, wonderful people that uh, will sit and, uh, you know, green silver stone uh, so many people, Carl Allen ran the business for 27 years and did a tremendous job. Of course, you know, he gets a lot of, you know, sometimes you get some heat in that position, but uh, Carl's a tremendous man and he's just struggling a little bit health wise. But um, now Dean Silverstone, our secretary treasurer, is our oldest uh, serving member. And just the work that that man does is just phenomenal. All, every person on our board. Can you uh, and, uh, just hats off to? We're always we're always looking for good volunteers to because we put so much pressure on like our our greeters at the door. You know, when you come in and register, we'll have a line on Monday. You know, uh, and we try to get them through as quick as we can, and we need you know good friendly faces. And instead of making uh, the girls, it's usually girls, guys, um, pretty girls too. Um, so we're out. Meeting and, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm just trying to enhance it. But uh, the, uh, uh, no, I wasn't lying about that. But, um, and there's a couple of good-looking guys, too. So uh, so we got it covered. And um, and they're all friendly. And um, But to sit there for uh, registrations open for six hours, you know, we just split that up three hours and three hours between six people or eight people. And, you know, it'd be nice even to split it up to two hours, you know, just um, right. find, it, find the people that, come every year they're going to be loyal or most of the years you know it's difficult it's hard to run an organization where nobody gets paid and to you know to keep um you know i ran gold's gyms i started one gold's gym and built four and sold the rights to three other ones i know all the County. but in that process um you know i went from more from my wife myself uh and uh Rosalia fret and uh um one other, we had four employees, at, and we went to 125, built up to 125, and to 
you know, do that. So it's a lot of work, but, but you know, you, when you're paying them, they got to jump. But when you're not paying somebody, you know, you're at the mercy of their mood. And uh, right. so we really need good, dedicated people that understand that. Nobody's getting paid. There's no perks. There's, there's nothing other than the fact that you feel good about inside about doing good for others. Right, right. Um, can we talk about Hiro Matsuda for a minute? Oh, I yeah. love Hiro. That's how Legends yeah. March started. I do Legends March every three months here. And so I'm glad I don't. God, I got to call Mike Cook. I'm glad you just said Hiro Matsuda. No problem. Did he break your leg on day one and send you home? He broke Hogan's ankle. Right, I know. Yeah, he didn't do that to you too? No. No, no. no. Almost. Oh, he's almost broken everything on my body. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he stretched me, uh, you know, places I didn't know I could be stretched. Uh, when I first went there uh, to be to start training, it's not like you go pay somebody fifteen hundred bucks and go start training, and they're going to tell you to get a headlock. They didn't even spark me. I, I would go between college right after high school. I started, and uh, the first time I went there. I don't know, we did like 100 Hindu spots, I had never done Hindu spots, 100 push-ups. Eventually we got up to doing 500 sets of 100, five sets of 100 push-ups, five sets of 100 Hindu squats. And, you know, I, I knew how to amateur wrestle. I didn't know what uh, jujitsu and hooking and uh, that art was, and um, Hero was a master of it. And, you know, I'd all of a sudden get on top of him and think, all right, and ah, I'd start screaming, he's going to break my ankle, you know, he'd ankle pick me or something, and um, I'd tight waist him, and all of a sudden he double wrist slot me, ah, I mean, every time you're, when you're an amateur wrestler, you set yourself up for hooks all the time, and uh, so you got to learn how to wrestle defensively, and Hero was such a master of that, and um, yeah, the, the Third day, the first two days down there, I peaked both days, rolled out of the ring. That third day, I roll out of the ring, and uh, just sitting there, and he's looking at me, staring at me, and all of a sudden, he took the front of his foot, because he never wore shoes or boots, and uh, lifted my chin up, and he said, what's the matter, boy, you're not pooped today. <laughs> <laughs> said, I haven't eaten since the last time I puked. <laughs> uh, you know... Japanese humor is a little different humor, I guess, but apparently that kind of really made him laugh because he turned his head for like 30 seconds. He would not turn toward me, and I could see his ears lift up. So I think he liked me after that. <laughs> he kind of he didn't he wasn't quite as hard on me that fourth day, and uh, not that it was easy. It was never easy. And during the three summers that I broke into zero, I was us to be able to do that um besides here i mean we had carl gotch i mean so many gordon nelson all these hookers from Wiggins and um you know the briscoes bob Backlund, everybody morocco all guys would come down and do stuff with you um morocco wasn't an amateur wrestler but later on when we finally got to learn what a headlock was uh, during that third summer but um uh, Hero was just a man's man, and that's how Legends Lunch started. We just started taking Hero out when he got a cancer, and um, God bless him, he's uh, in a better place. And uh, he was just a tough, tough, tough guy. Was going with Hero a location choice because it was close, or, of course, because it was Hero? I mean, it's probably a rhetorical question, but was it that way or uh, because Hero was Hero? Right. 
It's a great question, John, and, I, and it's because Hero was with the Florida Championship Wrestling office. He owned 2% of the office. Eddie Graham didn't want any wrestler to ever get their butt kicked because they had made professional wrestling in Florida. If you look back in the Florida territory days, everybody that was everybody came through Florida. Florida was one of the hottest territories in the nation. Yeah, it was. And I'm talking about New York, too. When you go population for population, Florida probably beats New York for um, the amount of people you have to draw from. And uh, back in the back in the day, I'm talking about back up until 1985 and 84. And um, anyway, uh, Hero was that part of the office. He was like the enforcer, and you could not you couldn't come from somewhere else unless you were you know broke in and one of the promoters because it's very tight knit. I even have uh, I have notes from Leroy McGurk from um, from because he, you know, ran uh, Mid-South or whatever with, uh, before it was Mid-South with, um, with Watts. And uh, Leroy gave me a, a Halliburton, and inside that Halliburton was all the NWA notes. You know, Leroy was blind. I, I mentioned there's some notes from the thing, and he said, I'll just read them. Uh, started reading them, and he didn't say nothing, so I just stuck them in back in the Halliburton. But it tells every promoter that was there who they're voting on for the world title. Um, even um, Vince McMahon Sr. came to these meetings, and they'd have them in Las Vegas where the California Alley Club always holds their events. Not always, but generally that we will be there for the next two years. So um, at least. And um, so these are very, very interesting to see. And, um, you know, uh, Eddie Graham being the owner of Florida, again, he didn't want anybody to get their butt uh, kicked. He was very proud of the wrestling. Kayfabe was huge back then. And, um, you know, if you didn't, um, uh, if one of the promoters from this uh, conglomeration didn't um, send you there, you weren't just going to come in off the street and say, hey, I want to try hot. Well, lots of guys did that. I'm not saying you couldn't do that because they loved that. Well, I would say at least 100 people came uh, during the three summers that I was trained with Hero, and the only other two that survived that was Hogan and Orndorff. Wow. Wow. Yeah, people ran out without their clothes. I mean, even Danny, Danny Spivey left, all kinds of Hall left, all kinds of people left. But, uh, you know, it was, it was brutal. I'm telling you, it was, it was not easy. And once, you know, after like my third summer, then I had to be the guy to run everybody off and do all that stuff. So, right. you know, I, you know, could sit, sit, sit back and <laughs> That kind of answers uh, my next question, Brian. I, I often wondered why Hiro Matsuda was so tough on his guys and so torturous, but that, that kind of answers the question is they, they wanted you guys to be tough. They wanted you guys to be able to legitimately defend yourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. Eddie Graham said the worst thing for our business could ever be if one of you guys go out and get your ass kicked somewhere. And he'd right. tell us this. You know, he said, you know, don't be stupid, don't act stupid. But if you get in a fight, you better not lose, and I better not hear about it. Wow. And uh, so that was ingrained, you know, through the owners of the uh, championship uh, wrestling from Florida, Lester Welch, Duke Fiamoko, um, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, um, uh, Hero, 
those were uh, Gordon Soley, I think, at one time had 2%. And a lot of people thought he owned the company because he was the announcer. <laughs> but the territories were great. You know, you could go, uh, you know, from here to Kansas City or from here to New York or from here to wherever. You know, there was a territory just about in every state. Or right. One territory covered five states or whatever, six states. You'd go to Canada go to Japan, you go all over the world. It was, it was just super. And, um, you know, when there, when Vince took over, um, with WrestleMania one and raided all the territories, of course, the territories closed. And now, you know, he's done the next best thing by creating NXT, but even with NXT, they're under a lot of pressure, um, going out with all the, the cameras always on them. Um, you don't have uh they're not, you, you learn more like high spots and reading scripts and things like that where in our day you learn to wrestle. It's a wrestling of the marquee and we had to learn, you know, obviously uh, guys like Andre the Giant didn't do that or big guys, you know, they didn't wrestle. You had to learn to work with other gimmicks too, but he liked, uh, most of the promoters, I mean, even Vince McMahon Sr. when I went there, and that's why they put the strap on Bob Backlund, because they they realized the value in um, people that could wrestle, but the psychology, people don't react the same in Tampa as they do in Tupelo, Mississippi, or Dyersburg, Tennessee. You know, you may go out there and, and they buy some chain wrestling. Um, I'll try to speak in, in today's terms, some, some chain wrestling, um, we would just call it working a shoot. Um, but, you know, you start out chain wrestling. If they're buying that, keep doing it and listen to the crowd, listen to the crowd. You know, why, why do you got to chop meat, punch, kick, gouge when they're buying something as easy to do as that? When you're right. working with each other, it's like harmony. It's a, it's a broomstick, you know, one tackle, drop down, arm drag. You know, you work the arm, work the arm to you tell a story, you know, I'm going to break his arm. And you know, then I'm gonna uh, uh, put him into camel clutch or whatever in my finisher, or break his back, work on his back, and you know, try to get something that goes along with your, you know, w- with what your famous your finishing move. Right. Um, so that, that psychology is, is you know, Triple H can still do it, Randy Orton can still do it. You know, there's got a lot of guys, Chris Jericho. You know, these guys can all still do that. Um, but the art is really becoming a lost form. Are you saying it's entertainment now more than wrestling? I'll throw that question out right off the bat. Absolutely. I mean, how else, when you give 16 false finishes in one match, that's freaking ridiculous. Right, thank you. Right, just to, to maybe play devil's advocate here just a little bit, Brian, Macho Man versus the Dragon, WrestleMania 3, is considered one of the best intercontinental title matches, one of the best WrestleMania matches. 22 false finishes in 16 minutes. Uh, you know, why is that the exception? And I agree with you. I'm, you see so many finishing... Because, let me just stop you. Let me stop sure, you right sure. there. One second. The reason is, is because that was so different, and that's what made that match so good. I was an eyewitness to that match. I watched it. I had goosebumps. I had goosebumps because that was a wrestler's wrestler's match. But in other words, that was a match that every wrestler should watch to right. learn from. And that's basically what the business has kind of morphed into. Only the, those false finishes were, if you notice, if you go count those 22 false finishes, they weren't like killer finishes. 
like some of them are today, you know, with um, the Hurricanes, all the stuff, all the you know stuff off the top rope, and uh, of course, Macho was famous for going to the top rope, but that was an elbow, you know. I mean, we're talking, you know, these uh, 360s and uh, the stuff they're doing off the top rope is highly dangerous. I mean, you could see there's a YouTube thing that I saw the other day where the guy goes to do a flipping type move and lands straight on his head and he broke his skull. Oh my gosh. Man. Wow. Wow. Have you seen that one? I have not yet. No. Okay, I don't know. You should, you should use YouTube on it. Just put YouTube uh, wrestler breaks skull doing move. That's probably all you would have to put in there. But it'll show you the danger of what these guys are doing. Just one time. One time off. You know, I mean... Right. Um, you know, those guys, you know, like Ray Mysterio Jr., you know, I mean, he was a pioneer at that. And in my in my vision, in my mind, Mick Foley is the one that raised the bar for the higher and more uh, dangerous high spots when he was in ECW and would do this crazy off-the-wall stuff. I mean, Mick Foley is the only guy in this business, and I love Mick. Mick is a, a, a true gentleman, an intelligent uh, man that's... Um, filled with integrity and that's probably the highest compliment that I could give somebody and Mick Mick, uh, uh, we had a match in Hartford, Connecticut it was Brunzel and I against Mick and uh, um, uh, Terry uh, 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 I don't know uh, just uh, Enhanced Metallic guy from the 80s Brian? Yeah yeah. Gibbs? Um, I'm Terry Gibbs Gibbs yeah Gibbs, Terry Gibbs. So anyway, I tell Mick, you know, I'm going to give him the bee sting. Hit the, I hit the rope, jump off with my ass on his chest, but he's got to lift up. And I'm explaining how to do it. You got to do a, do a sit-up. Do just like, right, right, right when I'm in the air, do just like about a six-inch sit-up, about this much, you know, and that way you won't feel a thing. Tuck your arms tight. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to be as light as possible anyway. So I'm in the mid-air, and Mick, Mick does an undertaker sits all the way up where he's he, his face literally hits me in the crotch <laughs> and I come straight down oh, I come straight down on his mouth I said there's no place for me to land it. a chest and a mouth is a big size difference and so uh, his his two front teeth were backed all the way backwards <sighs> and blood's coming, out of, blood's coming out of his mouth and he comes up to me and he goes oh Mr. Blair, there was such an honor for me to work with you. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. I said, oh, my gosh. Mick, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I hurt you when you came up. Anyway, that's uh, I'll leave it right there. But uh, Mick was uh, the only guy that I ever really hurt, and uh, I still feel bad for that. But One other. Uh, too, you know, yeah, for sure. Things. Yeah, for sure. Um one other quick question about Hero. You said this was over the course of three summers. Are you working during that time, too? Are you, are you wrestling at that time? Uh, are you traveling? Or are you just kind of staying put and training with Hero over the course of three years? Yeah, because I was going to college and playing football. And so um, um, uh, I just uh, – and, and uh, I did uh, wrestling as well. We did uh, intramural, interstate wrestling at Louisville. Moorhead, Eastern, Western, uh, lots of different colleges. We had 220-pound weight class there, whereas in high school you had 198. And uh, I, I'm, my natural weight in high school is 212. We had this 
was um, I just couldn't get down. There was no way for me to get down that light. So I just always wrestled heavyweight, and, we had to, and there was no limit there either. I'd always have to wrestle guys, you know, 280. Even back then, there was guys 280, 300 pounds. But, uh, you know, college was different. So um, I, I, in the summertime, I, didn't, I, always had, I always had a job. Uh, I've worked really since I was 12 years old. I don't even remember not having a job. So, um, but we knew what time we had to be, you know, what time training was from what time to what time. So I could, you know, make a schedule, um, and always had to have Tuesday nights off to go to the matches, but, um, and then just went back to college. Okay. Uh, when you, when you saw Hulk Hogan in Florida, did you have an idea of the potential this guy had? Yeah. I used to actually sneak in the bar. Uh, he played for a band called Ruckus. And they were playing at a bar called The Other Place, um, actually not too far from where I live now. And um, he was just like a freak, you know, just a big, uh, long, blonde-haired, handsome guy with big muscles. And so, you know, they were uh, they were really over as a band. And, that, you know, I had met Terry then, and uh, I don't remember how I used to speak in the bars, but I was going there since I was 16. The age then was 18. I even bartended at a, at a hooker bar, which some of these stories I'm going to save for my book. But um, uh, there was, uh, I did that for almost a year. And, yeah, that was crazy. That was my senior year in high school. Right up Yamaha 200 from town and country to Tampa Bay Tech, which is about not straight down Hillsborough Avenue in Tampa, which is about 12 miles straight down. And believe me, even in Florida, it gets cold in the wintertime, guys, many days. And, uh, well, cold for us is, you know, like um, 35, 40. You know, when it gets 35, 40 here, it's, it's cold. And um, I'd still ride my motorcycle every day and work every night. And you know, I was making like... Anywhere from 700, I worked till 3 in the morning, get up, you know, be at school at 9 o'clock or 8.30, whatever time the class started, and um, did good in school and all that because I was just so motivated and uh, wanted to be successful so bad. We're in the greatest nation in the world. I mean, if you want to be successful, you can be successful. Uh, you, you have more opportunity in this nation. It's it's just amazing. For, for me, you know, I'm into politics, but for me to watch – you know, Hong Kong, which was a thriving democracy now, and there's riots on the street because the Chinese now want to take over early and um, and uh, make them a, just attach them to the communist nation under their laws. And you can see how valuable your freedom is. So don't let ever, anybody ever sell you into socialism because it's a dead end. You look at Venezuela; they got they were the largest economic engine in South America. They are now the worst economic engine in South America and one of the worst in the world. People are waiting in line for 10 hours to get a gallon of a quart of milk. And um, it's at exorbitant prices. It's crazy. So cherish your freedoms, guys. For sure. Um, look, at both, look at both sides of the aisle before you cast your vote because this next vote is going to be critical for America. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, hey, I wanted to ask you, you'd mentioned Florida being a hot territory, which it absolutely was. You went through Dallas for a period of time, too. Is that right? Did you work for the Von Erichs? Oh, it was one of my favorite times for a year and a half, at least a year and a half, yeah. Yeah. About a year and a half. I, I went there uh, 
uh, after Lee Ray tried to shoot me uh, in Oklahoma, um, and uh, <laughs> and I was already going there that night, and um, you know I was getting a divorce. I, I was married for a year to his daughter Mike. He's, we're good friends now, and she's a super girl. Just was way too jealous back then, and she'd be the first one to say it. The ring announcer for the World Wrestling Federation in the '80s, right? She was a ring announcer for, in the '80s for the WWF. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Okay, and, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so I uh, had stopped to say goodbye to Mike. Um, had just got done beating up, beating the crap out of Doug Summers uh, in Leroy's office, and because um, uh, I found out that you know I used to let him ride with me and stuff, and then you know we're getting a divorce, and find out find out that you know he's banging or whatever, so really pissed me off that somebody that was supposed to be my friend would do that. And uh, I was on last wrestling for the world junior heavyweight title with Ron Starr. I'd come out of, out of the arena there in Tulsa and go into Leroy's office, sweaty and everything, and all of a sudden Doug Summers walked in. And Anyway, uh, the Leroy was pissed because all of his, um, uh, a bunch of his trophies were smashed they fell off the wall i don't know if they were smashed or not uh somehow there, there was always a stooge around there only wiki wiki or there's always there's a stooge in every territory so anyway he uh, <laughs> uh was already stooge and so i go to about uh midnight or so whatever time i get over there the only thing i'm taking with eighty thousand dollars on house and cars. i didn't want nothing i just my uh my 17 foot caravel inboard outboard uh, uh boat my 72 Lincoln Continental that I had to go in high school with some great stories with Andre uh, and uh, Dusty in it and many others on those. But uh, anyway, it was a great car. And uh, uh, 500 bucks and some clothes. I took, I took that and left, went to the Von Eriks. Uh, but before I went to the Von Eriks that night, I stopped just to say goodbye, you know, to Mike and I knocked around the door. Leroy comes to the door. He says, uh, who is it? I said, it's Brian. He said, you really run the cuss words at me, bang, bang, bang. Uh, and I'm thinking, oh, I just want to see Mike for a minute. Can you just tell her I just want to say hello? He said, get that name out of here and slams the door. So I go out and back out in the driveway, walk uh, around the house, kind of got like an uh, inset, um, an inset um, front door. So you walk around the brick and then you knock on the door. So I wait for about... Um, it seemed like 30 minutes. And I said, man, I kind of So I go knock on the door one more time. All of a sudden, the door, just screen door, uh, pops open. He raised out his hand behind his, uh, behind his uh, uh, leg, his right leg. And I said, uh, Leroy, can I just speak to Mike just for one minute? All of a sudden, he raises that gun. And when he did, I kind of ducked him went to the side as quick as I could behind that brick on the other side. I hear, blam, blam. He opens the door, blam, blam, blam. Shoots that gun, I don't know, four or five times. Just misses his front tire of his Lincoln Continental there. I could see the grass pop up. And that scared the pee out of me. I got to tell you what, it really scared me. Holy cow. Yeah. You know, good thing he's blind, right? So, I mean, it's kind of time for me. So... So I go around to the back to the window and um, 
want to see Mike so you know how I look and I could see like a something that looked like a mummy laying across the couch and Mike's got like a, a bowl in her hand Michael Kathleen has like a bowl in her hand uh, a spoon and she's feeding this mummy well that was Doug Summers on the couch and so that kind of just broke my heart and I just went in my car and headed south to uh, Dallas Fort Worth and Devon Eric's had a surprise waiting on me as soon as I got there and the relationship blossomed and um, I, you know I see Kevin uh, I was just at his house uh, just about two years ago in uh, Kauai got a beautiful beautiful house and he's still with the same girl Pam was his girlfriend then and um He's a super, super, super guy, and uh, I really miss uh, the boys a lot. You know, all of them. I had a lot of fun with them. Um, of course, Chris was, Chris was young then, and um, um, you know, Mike. I could never see being a wrestler um, because he had asthma really bad. It was, uh, it was um, a lot of fun during that time, and Fritz would put a hundred dollars in my in my paycheck, hundred dollar bill above the other, whatever the payoffs were, um, and uh, just thanked me for watching over the boys. And, you know, he wanted me to be the good influence on the boys. And I don't know if that was the wisest thing to do, but no, no I mean, <laughs> we all uh, learned from each other, and we had a great time. Yeah. Um one other quick question about Leroy. Do you think that was because he didn't want you with Mike or because you were leaving the territory or a little of both? That That's pretty extreme. Yeah, I, he was he was mad over the uh, all of his trophies getting. Uh, he thought they described it to him like all every one of his trophies were broken. I see. Okay. So he just kind of conjured that up in his mind. I don't think he really – I don't know. You know, honestly, you never know what other people are thinking. Right. So, another good question, John. Yeah, thank you. Um, in the early 80s, uh, you had a couple of stints with the WWF. Um, you're teaming up with Tony Gurria on TV. You're teaming up with Bob Backlund. Um, you also had some good TV matches, I guess, with your good buddy, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Paul Orndorff and I had a match in St. Louis at the Keogh Auditorium. I believe I had black trunks on. There's yep. one with black trunks, one, one with red trunks. I don't know if they showed the black one in the black trunks in its entirety. That was joined in progress. Was he enough? That was joined in progress. That match with the black trunks is joined in progress. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I wish I could get the whole thing. Uh, I probably could if I asked Vince. But uh, anyway, um, that match right there, I mean, to me, it, it felt just like a, a really, really good match like I had all over with Orndorff. You know, I had to get, it was Tito and my responsibility to get Orndorff ready for Hogan. And, you know, that's how things work when you book properly. And um, so, you know, everybody believed that, you know, I, could, I needed to beat and I could beat Orndorff. If they didn't believe that, they, you would never get that kind of a reaction. And so at the end of the match, um, Chief comes up to us, Chief J. Strongbow, and says, hey, uh, Caesar wants to see you. Caesar was Chief's nickname for Vince, uh, Jr. So we come, go up to see, uh, Vin, go to see Vince, Jr., and he got a huge smile on his face. And he 
puts his hand on each one of our shoulders and he said, I want to tell you guys, and I'm not kidding you, that was the best match I've ever seen in my life. And when he said that, I mean, I asked Paul, you know, shortly after, did that feel good or what? He said, hell yeah, that felt good. And that, it, it, that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever had in my life. For Vince Jr. to say that, I'm sure he's seen a lot of better matches since then. Um, just go to WrestleMania three to the Steamboat match. But, I mean, the people, if you watch that match from the beginning, they were standing up after two minutes. And they, if you watch them, they sit down maybe for just uh, when we want them to. And they then they shout and scream and do everything else. I mean, they were at the edge of their seats. It was, you could just feel the electricity in the air, that whole single match. Everything was just like, when you know, the Keele Auditorium is a great place. Um, 20,000 people, you know, you just, it's an amazing place to, uh, and a really hot crowd, you know, so at least it was then at that time. And, you know, we were, we were really gearing things up to make them what they are today. Yeah, um, I've recently rewatched that, and it it holds up, Brian. It really is a very very good match between you guys. Um, I mentioned you had some tag team partners, obviously before Jim Brunzel. Were they thinking of putting you in a team with uh, Bob Backlund or Tony Gurria? Um, was that just maybe to fill TV time, or, or did they have bigger plans for those teams? You know, I really don't know. The only thing I know is that uh, Jimmy and I were promised the belts three times, once by Vince, twice by George Scott. We thought we were winning them in, at the Saturday night main event. Uh, we beat the Hard Foundation. They changed it uh, in the booking from um, a non, to a non-title match. And George would come and just say, oh, you know, the money's in the hunt, guys. The money's in the hunt. And I would say, George, look, that's true. But sooner or later, if the fans don't think you're going to win, they're going to give up on you. That's the way the psychology works, and you know that. And because I would tell them, you know, man, mono e mono. Uh, you know, I guess that's why I got a lot of respect in the business. I tell people the truth, and um, you know, you try to sugarcoat the bad things as best as you can, but you got to get your point across somehow, or, or you're not going to get it across. And I never knew until we were doing a podcast about six months ago, Jimmy and I, I had never known that Jimmy Brunzel sued Vince prior to getting into the WWF at the time, WWE. So there was heat right off the bat there. And, um, you know, there was a couple other things where, you know, for some reason, Jim and Vince just had friction. And, uh, you know, uh, it was... Hogan's idea to put us both together. Hogan, um, I mean, I already knew I was going back. You know, this was, you know, they really liked me there. As a matter of fact, a lot of people don't know this, but um, uh, Vince McMahon Sr. is the one that said, you need to be B. Brian Blair on the second time when I came back. Um, um, or right after the second time. He said, um, Brian, you need to be be Brian Blair, and because I really, Vincent Man Sr. was so good to talk to, so encouraging, so uplifting, never lied to you, uh, straight-faced, respected everybody, and because um, um, he knew my nickname was B, uh, derived from Bieber, um, which my mom called me. <laughs> nice! <laughs> uh, so one time she said, 
<laughs> one time she called Betty, but she called Betty Colt before my first match because we lived in the same apartment complex, and my wife was my mom was friends with his wife, and <clears throat> so could I babysit his kids to make some extra money? Um, and uh, she calls him up before I'm having my first match and says, "Hey, Betty, don't let those uh, guys hurt my Bieber." <laughs> uh, and, uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe she called the office and did that to me and so Buddy called there's Dusty sitting around the Briscoes um, um, Johnny Valentine um, you know, just all kinds of people to let all, all the guys in and uh, Buddy says hey I just got a phone call uh, who's who's working with uh, Blair today um, I, Mrs. Blair says don't hurt her Bieber <laughs> That's street orders. And everybody starts busting out laughing. Oh my gosh, Dusty's like, damn, Beeper. He said, Beeper. So, in words from Beeper to Beeper. So, then this goes called Beeper. And uh, anyway, uh, uh, Vince Jr. had heard uh, that. I mean, Vince Jr. had heard. <laughs> and uh, he, liked, he liked the nickname B, you know, and he called me B a lot. So, said, I want you to be B. Brian Blair. And I said, no, that's great. Because there's a lot of Brian Blairs, but there's only one B. Brian Blair. That's right. That's right. There is yeah. only one. So who thought of the mass confusion with the, the Killer Bees with you and Brunzel? That would be Billy Red Lions. Uh, Billy Red was great. Uh, we were up in Canada filming. Um, uh, we did win the um, Jack Tunney tournament up there when Mr. T was our manager. And... Uh, Jimmy and I are really over still to this day. When we go to Canada, go to those Comic Cons, we, you know, lines are just nonstop. I mean, that's that's the best place in the in the whole world for us as far as the fan base and uh, Toronto and that whole uh, area, um, Ontario province. So the uh, we uh, did TV there, and um, we were getting re- uh, really getting over. Um, and um, um, Billy Red said, uh, you know, I was a heel, and when my partner and I tagged him, we'd wear these masks, and we'd switch, and it would get so much heat. He goes, I'll bet you if you did it as a baby face, if you let the heels get enough heat on you, then it'll really get over. And uh, Jimmy and I both thought about it, and we agreed, you know, well, let's, let's try it. So we had these masks made, and uh, I still have my masks. And uh, um, we uh, <laughs> we did it the first time, and the people just popped like a son of a gun. And then uh, Lord Alfred Hayes called it mass confusion. So Billy, it was Billy Red Lion's idea, and then Lord Alfred Hayes uh, coined it mass confusion. It, it was certainly a lot of fun, um, and it also worked because you had guys like Jim the Anvil Nightheart and Brett the Hitman Hart getting really, really upset every time you pulled one over on them. Uh, Brett says you guys were the very best. I mean, think about that for a second. Um, what are your thoughts on that? The Hitman says the Killer Bees were the very best opponents he ever faced. Well, uh, first off, I really appreciate uh, Brett, whom I think is one of the very best. And uh, obviously, uh, the proof's in the pudding, but... Uh, so many people, you know, Brett putting in writing in the book, for which I'm very grateful, and others with broad knowledge would say the same thing. Why don't you guys have the belts? Why don't you guys have the belts? When we, we got to the peak of our uh, B 
being hot. You know, it was just time. It was just time. You are got to turn us heel, you know, do something. But don't let us, you know, die on the vine after giving you three years of our life, uh, lives. And um, so um, it's just even more reason why the killer bees should be in the Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, for the amount of um, – we, we worked more matches. I mean, we worked 67 straight days without a day off. We, oh, wow. We worked, you know, because we'd have an AB, ABC. We were running three towns a night. I mean, they're just – anywhere we went was just, you know, I don't care if we were in Harrow or or Syracuse, New York, or wherever it was. It was just sold out. It was – it was a good time. I mean, it was packed. People were making money. Uh, the business was really becoming a, a white collar, not just a blue collar, but a mixed collar business. And uh, um, you know, it's uh, just more proof if, by the number of matches we had, the quality of matches we had, what our opponents said about us, which is really what you should really listen to because they're the people that really know. Um, uh, gives us every. Uh, right to make our case to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, uh, I didn't get as many votes as Jesse. Uh, he became the governor, but being the county commissioner countywide of Hillsborough County um, and running in um, five different elections, you know, I've had uh, close in totality as many votes as Jesse had. And, um, you know, saving a city, uh, not a just a, an entire county that's 1,078.2 square miles, Hillsborough County, that has 1.3, over 1.3 million people. Uh, I had cost-saving ideas that saved our county, which is audited over a billion dollars. We had a, almost a $6 billion budget, $5.7 billion budget. Some of them would, some of it would be pass-throughs. It's a long explanation. But anyway, we had a major budget, but I came up with ideas like senior zones where you didn't have to buy traffic lights. Uh, make a like a school zone on steroids um a bunch of cost saving ideas that save lowered millage rates which that's how we base our property taxes on uh all four of my years and got the uh, largest millage decrease in the history of hillsborough county so i saved the taxpayers over a billion dollars you know that's a that's a big deal i you know um I served by gold's gyms for 2.1 million dollars which is public record um debt free um, you know, wow. when I was 40 years old, and so, um, you know, I've done a lot of things besides um, that lay merit to being in the Hall of Fame, and you know, that's really that's really what's missing. Uh, that's the empty void in my heart right now. You know, when the Iowa Hall of Fame, um, it's not like being in the WWE Hall of Fame. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. The Hall of Fame without the Killer Bees. It's um, not a Hall of Fame. It's not a Hall of Fame. Not, let's be honest. Yeah, not in our childhood. Not happening. Um, you had mentioned a possible heel turn. Was was that a thing? Because I, I came across a rare match, and anyone I've spoken to has not seen it. It's Hulk Hogan versus the Million Dollar Man, Philadelphia, um, Lumberjack match, and at one point, a masked bee trips Hulk Hogan from the outside. Um, Hulk drags the bees into the ring, beats them up, tries to unmask them, but they're wearing masks under the masks. Was that you guys? Was that somebody else doubling as the bees? Because we never heard about it again after that. No, remember when I told you I said to George, either give us the belt, right. or do something. 
Well, that was uh, his experiment with turning those heels, which wasn't much of an experiment. To me, a kind of a lame finish, and we probably potatoed Hogan so much that um, he doesn't like that. <laughs> I know, I love Terry. Believe me, he's loving like a brother. But uh, uh, I think we potatoed him a few times. So I don't know what really put the kibosh on that. Um, I, I don't. But um, I wound up giving my notice in uh, Salisbury, Maryland before WrestleMania 5. And, uh, you know, Vince was very, very kind about it. I just said, uh, you know, um, we've got a lot of tag teams here, Vince, and, you know, I could see the writing on the wall, and, um, you know, I've got the entrepreneurial spirit. I'd rather go see what I can do uh, in the private sector. Right. And, um so when the door's always open, Brian, and you know, he's very kind about it. Bada boom, that's where we left it. And uh, I don't, I don't really regret a thing because I worked more, and at my time, without somebody telling me where to be and what to do, and without having that pressure, we worked more. I had, you know, my deal in Japan for New Japan Pro Wrestling. We were going to Singapore, Malaysia, the Bonaire, we were going to Curacao. We were going all over the place, just. Wrestling was um, a couple of years behind on the uh, on tapes on the circuit. It's like being fresh, you know. You go to Singapore and see uh, 48 cutouts of, you know, the killer bees and the towns buzzing, and it's just really exciting. You know, that excitement was back, and you know, we've made a lot of money. And thank God for the wrestling fans now that enjoy seeing the legends. It's so nice to go like I'll. On the 26th, I'll be in New York, um, I mean, in New Jersey. Um, I was just in um, Monroe, New, Ju- New Jersey, um, a couple weeks ago, and we'll be back, uh, right, about, it's about an hour from Newark. I'm trying to think of the, the town we're in. Um, uh, I'll, I'll mention it in a second here, but uh, uh, it's nice that the fans still appreciate the legends, you know, the what they call the legends, anyway. Right. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I really do appreciate that. It's so good seeing, you know, you see people that, hey, look at this picture. I took this picture with you when I was 10 years old. And you look at it. And, I mean, fans can bring you some of the coolest stuff and just, you know, you interact and have such a good smiley face, good time. I mean, everybody's always kind there. And, and we just have a, we have a great time, I mean, uh, doing these things. And uh, I'm just glad the market's there for it. Yeah, and you mentioned the fans were buzzing for the bees. I don't know if you intended to say that, but that was pretty clever that they were buzzing for the bees. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, that was horrible good. dad pun. Yeah, right. Dad horrible jokes. dad pun. Um, were you with uh, Were you with the barber during his accident? Is that true? You were with Brutus Beefcake during the parasailing accident. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, man, what was that like to witness? Well, it was it was pretty brutal because uh, Beaver was in water above his waist, and um, uh, a guy named Paul and I were holding the parasail up. I wasn't about to do this, but uh, then the whoever was on the parasail, Mike Hannis, who owned the boat and the property, was like a uh, hundred yards or so. I mean, we're in a big lake in a, a professional ski boat maybe 50 yards. I mean, it was at least 50 yards. 
more than that. So somewhere in between 50 and 100 yards um, because the parasol's got to go really high. And so you you run. When, when Beefer tells Mike everything's ready, we tell Beefer, okay, she's ready or he's ready. Uh, he says, puts his right hand down, and he, then he turns to the right so that he's out of the line of fire in case somebody doesn't get lift. So everything was going great that day. And um, a guy named Ed Barbara's girlfriend, Tracy, it's her turn. She's maybe about 120 pound, you know, five foot three blonde girl, small girl. She gets up and for some reason being that light, I don't know what the deal was. She couldn't, she didn't get the lift and she's still about, you know, five foot off the ground and six, five, five and a half foot off the ground and um, beefs in that water and um, somehow he decides to turn to the left and she didn't have enough height. She, like, dropped just a little bit in height and, you know, you got to realize there's about uh, 20, 25 yards between her and Beefcake and so the just the lift wasn't happening and she puts her knee up and the knee became a battering ram and hit her right knee hit Brutus right square in the middle of the face and he dropped just like a acorn out of a tree and he was disappeared so I ran jumping in the water Uh, Paul was somewhere on my heels but I grabbed him and I pulled him up and uh then Paul was there, and we sat him up, and I hit him on the back, you know, to get the water out, and I tried to put my finger in his mouth, and he's still conscious, barely conscious, barely conscious, and, and I can't, he's trying to talk, and I can't hear him talk. We can't, we can't hear him talk. And then uh, he hits, uh, uh, I mean, I said, lift, lift up your, here, let me get my finger to clear your throat, Beaver. And I said, let me open your mouth, open your mouth. And he, I, it sounded like it's open. And I looked, I, I pulled his lips apart, and his front teeth were laid on top of his bottom teeth. Oh, my God. Wow. So I had to manually lift up his teeth and push him up as gently as I could just to make sure his passages were clear. And, you know, the ambulance came, and that's exactly what happened. Wow. Unbelievable. Holy cow. Um, Just one more quick question for you here, Brian. Um, You were, uh, you were out of the business for a little while. And I think that's, that's when this incident with Brutus Beefcake happened is maybe when you were away from the ring, you came back and I think you were out West somewhere, right? And there were a lot of familiar faces. Um, Billy Jack Haynes, Don Morocco, Cowboy Bob Orton, well, we did the UWF. That's yes, the UWF. You know, we we became a world heavy, we became a world heavyweight tag team champions for Universal Wrestling Federation. Um, with Herb Abrams, Doctor Death, Steve Williams was the heavyweight champion, and uh, you know that was a lot of fun. But you know, we did so many other things. It was it was amazing. Um, I'm surprised some of the other tapes uh, from some of the other places um, aren't on YouTube. Maybe they are. I don't know. I, I don't have uh, the, the 24-7 wrestling uh, thing, but I should get that. Just 
I, from what I understand, you can watch a lot of cool stuff on that. Yeah, the WWE Network is amazing, but there's other ones out there too that you know you can just dive into farther back or indie ones. This whole streaming idea of bringing wrestling to people like us. Uh, when my mother named me Mark. She duly named me Mark. Uh, I am a Mark for everything, and I subscribe to all of them. They're they're amazing. You, you never have to watch anything but wrestling. <laughs> Mark Mark's, Mark's a great name. Mark was a, was a great apostle. So. That's right. So that's that's, a, that's an honor to be a name Mark. That's right. I, I agree. You know, Mark Mark. You know, Mark is just an old slang name. I mean, I, I never even really cared for that name. You know, everybody was, you know, wrestling fans. Most of them became, you know, everyone I talked to became friends just about. I mean, you'd find a couple of, he oh, especially in Philadelphia, golly. That, there, that was, of all the places I've ever worked in, Philadelphia has the, I'm sorry, Boston, not Philadelphia, Boston. Philadelphia's ref, ref, but Boston has the worst heel fans. I mean, they're good for the heels, but bad for the baby faces. I mean, they spit on the baby faces. Um, this one guy, I don't know who, if somebody was trying to kill me or Orndorff, but somebody threw an elbow pipe. Dick Worley's given Orndorff and I the instructions. And they had a wooden barricade at the old Boston Garden. I'd always sit in Larry Bird's locker because I loved Larry Bird. So I'd always sit there, everybody would, even if I was a little late, hey, don't sit in Larry's seat at the <laughs> <laughs> I was just because I talk about the Boston Celtics or whatever. So, um, uh, the uh, out of nowhere, I see something whiz past my eye while Willie's giving us the instructions, and I then I dropped like almost to my knees because I heard it sounded like somebody shot a, a shotgun, and what it was, the um, announcer on the side or the timekeeper picks up this elbow pipe. If it would have hit Worley, Rondorf, or I, we would be dead, dead, dead if it would have hit us in the head. I mean, it was Holy a big God. elbow pipe. This is how brutal they are. I mean, the same match, I got Rondorf down in, in, in an arm bar, and he's got his right arm up, you know, uh, pantomime, and, let, you know, let me go, let me go. And it hurts, it hurts. And all of a sudden, something whizzed past my eye again, and I look, and Paul's bleeding his mouth. His blood starting to just run out of his mouth. And I look, and there's a little miniature bottle, like a clear vodka or gin bottle. And Paul got up and started just beating the shit out of me. And I said, Paul, God, Lee, I said, I didn't throw that bottle, man. Loosen up. Loosen up. <laughs> <laughs> he said, how bad am I hurt beep? And then he potatoed me again. How bad how hard am I hurt beep? Boom. I said, Paul, come on, man. I can't even talk. You're hitting me so hard. <laughs> after that uh, uh, elbow pipe again when that bottle hit him I mean that set him off and he saw all the blood because Mr. Wonderful didn't want any imperfections on his his pretty face yeah yeah that pretty face and that look at mine (laughs) hey uh Hey, Brian, tell us where we can find you. Where are you going to be? Um, are you on social media, Twitter? you have a Facebook account? Yes, both. Uh, I've got, we've got the Killer Bees account. Uh, we have a Killer Bees store at the killer, killerbees.net. Um, I have Twitter at KillerBee1, the number one B, KillerBee1B at Twitter. And uh, Facebook, uh, uh, we have... Uh, uh, 
B. Brian Blair, have Carol Bees, and Brian Blair. Um, so I'm on uh, I'm on those quite a bit, especially Twitter. Are you doing um, uh, a comic book convention or an autograph signing or anything like that coming up? Yeah, I've got a ton of them booked. Uh, I was just trying to think of where we're going to be in Newark. Um, I was just looking for that. Uh, the town that I'm in, um, it just says Newark, New Jersey on my uh, calendar event. Sometimes there's there's so many towns. That's, it's sponsored by the 80s. Uh, 80s wrestling group um and their uh let me see their twitter handle i could probably just i could have just found it right then but um i mean this, this card is is loaded that's why i'm so excited like i haven't seen uh the brooklyn brawler in forever you know it's just right. uh, uh just not just him but i mean there's uh, there's a, a ton a ton of people um uh, coming, but uh, it's at uh, 80s Wrestling Picks. Oh, that's your... Uh, yeah, it's 80, 80s Wrestling Picks at uh, Twitter. And uh, uh, it should be on there. Twitter and see. It's in uh, Freehold. Okay. You ever heard of Freehold? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's October 26th uh, of this year in Freehold, New Jersey. I just found it yeah. on Instagram. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yep. That's good. Then we're, um, you know, Paul right now is, a, I'm one of the only guys that he recognizes. So, um, you know, I go with Paul wherever he goes. And um, so if people want to book Paul and I, uh, or the Killer Bees and I, or Tatanka, or, um, uh, golly, I help a lot of guys out, but. Uh, you can always uh, hit me up at KillerB1B on Twitter or um, uh, hit me up on Facebook or whatever if you're looking for some good talent. We're, uh, we're always looking for some good promoters. And, and while I still have you on the air here, Brian, um, I told you that we've, in conversations we've had, we shoot for 45 minutes to an hour, but you have been so generous and so forthcoming Thank with you. your stories, with your time. Um, with the rescheduling, really, we, we can't thank you enough. You were a childhood hero of ours. We loved the Killer Bees growing up, and it, it's been a real pleasure and a privilege to talk with you today. Thanks, John, and thanks, Mark. Uh, it's been an honor to be on Ken Crusher's podcast. And uh, um, where do I get the Astro T-shirt? I mean, where's his line at again? The T-shirts are being made. Uh we will off the air get your address and be sending you one. Probably in about three weeks, they'll be here. Oh, cool! Awesome. Very good. Well, all I can say is uh, you guys keep on buzzing along with your fans. I wish you health, happiness, and God's blessings, and uh, try to find a way to be nice to somebody because this world needs it right now, and uh, we need to love each other and quit fighting over politics and stuff and start. Uh, uh, respecting respecting each other again and being the good Americans that uh, that your mom and dad uh, taught you to be when you were younger and that God wants you to be now. Thank you all, and uh, God bless. Keep on buzzing. What an awesome interview that was, Mark. We learned so much about B. Brian Blair within the world of wrestling, outside the world of wrestling, and some of the good work he's really doing 
um, for retired professional wrestlers. Yeah, the Cauliflower Alley Club. You're going to see that a lot on Can Crushers. John, this is something legitimately we didn't know was out there until a little bit before we had this interview with Brian, and it's something that we want to support wholeheartedly. Can Crushers are going to be all in. Yeah, for sure. Once he pointed that out and uh, you know talked about it a little bit, and we've done a little bit of uh, reading, um, it's certainly something that I think connects with us at Can Crushers. Yeah, and if you're a wrestling fan across, look it up. Really, uh, caulifleralleyclub.org. And if you can do anything that Brian talked about in the podcast, that's amazing to help out your childhood or realistically future stars for sure yeah and they're 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 working on some things um not just for the wrestlers that are retired but also for those wrestlers coming up so that maybe they don't make some of the same mistakes that um uh, wrestlers made in the past favorite story though right now from brian's podcast what what was your favorite part of this holy cow favorite story there are a lot of them so that's a tough question what blew my mind was uh leroy mcgurk pulling a gun on him yeah that, that's, that's a bit much that's, that's a little much that's where i was going too holy moly and he was blind yeah yeah so shooting literally in the middle of the night going nuts yeah uh fortunately as brian said fortunately for him mcgurk was blind Oh, working with uh, Hero, and I got my answer on the mass confusion. This was a great interview, and I want to thank Brian for spending as much time. And as you heard during the podcast, they had to reschedule because, you know, things that happened on my end. And it was just wonderful that these guys give the Can Crushers their time. Yeah, he, he's just, as I said before, was so generous and so forthcoming with his time. All the way leading up to this, phone calls, texts, um, one of the nicest, nicest people I've ever met in wrestling or outside of wrestling. Just a good human being. Yeah. Uh, again, guys, if you have anybody else you want us to talk to or, you know, you want to reach out to another wrestler, send them our way. Cancrushers69 at gmail.com. Uh, we love these spotlights. I'm a mark for a reason, and the English professor, John, is as well. So, John, you have anything to wrap it up with? This was a thrill. Thanks again, uh, B. Brian Blair. And remember, John, just because you're trash doesn't mean you can't do great things. It's called a garbage can, not a garbage cannot.